Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you, Colton. I appreciate that. So, hey, as you know, we're in a brand new series. We're working our way through Jesus' most famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, for you to understand this sermon, I'm going to do a little review from last week. So if you weren't here, you'll kind of understand what we're saying today. But if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the first message in this series last week. It's pivotal. Uh, So I'm going to give you the backdrop for the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talked more about one thing than he did anything else. And it was called the kingdom of God. He announced it, he proclaimed it, and he didn't just say it was coming someday. He said that ordinary people could enter the kingdom now, today. And um, now when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're really talking about the sphere of God's rule, like his, his reign. We're talking about that place where the will of God is perfectly expressed where his will is always done and there's two reasons at least that Jesus talked about for why the kingdom was available not just someday but this day today first is this that the king of that kingdom was here so uh, Jesus as the Messiah was was bringing in this kingdom as that king secondly Jesus came to perfectly express God's will So he wasn't just the king of that kingdom, he was the embodiment of that kingdom as well. Now, the reason I'm talking so much about the kingdom of God this morning is because it is the backdrop and context for the Sermon on the Mount. Part of what the Sermon on the Mount is doing is it's announcing the reality for of the of the kingdom of God for ordinary people, not someday, but today. Now, many times people read the opening words of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and, the, and, that, and so let me read some of those. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, when you hear that, a question comes to mind for a lot of us. It's like, okay, am I supposed to be like that? I mean, is being poor in spirit what Jesus is asking me to do here? Is that something admirable? I mean, is being poor in spirit something I should aspire to so that I can get into the kingdom of God? And when people ask this question, even though the Beatitudes say blessed like over and over and over again, they can kind of actually end up making people feel kind of guilty because they look look at these uh, blessed statements and they think, you know what, I'm not like that. I'm not even sure I want to be like that. And if you are one of those people, I have fantastic news for you this morning. In these sayings, Jesus is not telling us what to do in order to be blessed. He is not saying, try hard to be poor in spirit. He's not saying that being poor in spirit is a good thing. Uh, He is doing something else entirely, and it's far more important and far more beautiful. So in the ancient world, there were two kinds of blessing statements, okay? The first kind is what might be called a saying of instruction. And so this would be worded like this, blessed are the wise. And the idea here is, hey, if if you are wise, if you live this way, then you'll live the good life. You'll reap the rewards of wise living, and then you'll be blessed. And these kinds of statements are are designed to teach, right, to instruct. But there's a second kind of blessing statement 
a little more rare. You see it a century or two before uh, Jesus came. And these are what might be called blessings of encouragement. So these blessings were spoken during times when Israel was just crushed with disappointment and, and frustration because it seemed to them in these moments that the kingdom of God was further away than it had ever been and it just seemed like it was never going to come. So the purpose of these blessing statements was not instruction. It wasn't, hey, try really hard to be this way. The purpose of these was encouragement. Just hold on. Don't quit. Don't give up. Just believe. Hang in there. Be encouraged. Be comforted. Be consoled. No matter what state you're in, no matter what you're going through right now, the kingdom of God is available for you. And I'm here. I've come for you. So that is what's happening in verses 1 through 12 in Matthew chapter 5. And here in verse 13, what we're going to find out is that we're all blessed, not just so we can soak in that blessing, but so that we can turn around and pass that blessing on to someone else. Now, uh, did everybody here get some salt, a little salt packet when you came in? I want you to just, don't open those, but we, I just want you to keep it, and I'm going to come back to this in just a minute. And some of you, if you're visiting, you may be wondering, is this some kind of a cult thing? I mean, do they hand out condiments every Sunday at church? The answer is no, but next week it's mustard. Well, so you receive this today because it's going to help us think about and process some amazing words that Jesus said right after he looked at these Jewish peasants and told them and said these words to them. And he's not just saying these words to them. He's saying these words this morning to you and to me this morning. Here's what he said. You are the salt of the earth. Now, to understand what Jesus meant by this, you have to understand that salt played a much more valuable and a much more central role in Jesus' day than in ours. So anybody want to guess, what's the, what do you think is the number one use for salt in the United States? Yeah, I'll give you a hint. The weather today necessitated some of it. Yeah, salting, de-icing uh, roadways, right? Now, that was not true for Jesus. See, when he came to earth, Jesus did not come to a place where roads were covered by ice and snow because he knew it was God's will that people not live in places like that, right? <laughs> so the reality is only about 8% of all salt produced in America is used as table salt, and even then, we're a little ambivalent about it, right? I mean, some of us have been told by our doctor to avoid salt. Uh, so we're, maybe we're on a low salt diet or a no salt diet because it might cause us some health problems. Um, and so some of you are, are kind of there, right? But in the ancient world, you need to know, salt was a game changer. It was precious, it was vital, it was absolutely essential because they discovered that salt acted 
as a preservative food. It kept things like decay and rot and corruption from setting in. And let me tell you, in a world without refrigeration or food pantries, without the ability, because you couldn't store food because it would just go bad and you'd have to throw it out. So salt meant the difference between food on the table or starvation. So in a time of famine, for example, salt could make the difference literally between life and death. And not only did it prevent decay, but it was also a purifying agent. They didn't know why. They didn't know it destroyed bacteria. They just knew that it kept food fresher. And then thirdly, salt gave bland foods flavor, right? It stimulated the taste buds. So salt was highly, highly prized. Uh, so most of the ancient cities in Italy, including Rome, were actually founded on salt works. So Romans used salt to pay their soldiers. And some of you may know that the Latin word for salt, sal, that's where we get the phrase salary. Because it was salt was actually your paycheck if you were a Roman soldier. That's where we get the expression, he or she is worth his or her what? Her salt, right? Her salt. That's kind of an older expression that harkens back to, uh, to this. Also, so uh, there's a guy that wrote a whole book on salt. I wouldn't want to read it, but I will read you this quote. He says, in the ancient world, salt was one of the most common factors that provoked and financed wars. So people, in the same way that people go to war over oil in our day, people used to go to war over salt in Jesus' day. And you can't understand what Jesus is saying here if you don't know that in the ancient world, salt was precious Plato said that salt was dear to the gods. Homer said it was, quote, a divine substance. Empires were built around salt. And Jesus, when he's talking to a group of peasants, a group of nobodies, he looks at them and he literally says to them that they are God's plan to protect the world from decay and corruption and to purify the world and to flavor it. And no one had ever told these people anything like this before. And today he's not only saying it to them, he's saying it to us, he's saying it to you, he's saying it to me, you are the salt of the world. You. That's what Jesus says. It's so staggering and it's so life-changing and it's hard for some of us to even believe because the reality for all of us is that we're far more aware, aren't we, of our struggles, of our shortcomings, of our failures. But in spite of all of those things, Jesus looks at you and me and he says, you are the salt of the earth and there are some huge implications to this. And here's the first one. When you think about salt, salt does not exist for its own sake. I mean, when was the last time you went to somebody's house for, for a meal and said to, said to, you know, your spouse, this salt is delicious, honey. I mean, we don't have salt like this at home. We got to switch brands. No, you don't do that, right? Why? Because salt doesn't call attention to itself. Nobody gets hungry and says, I think I'm going to go home and have a bowl of salt. Nobody does that, right? Because salt's calling is to lose itself in something more glorious than itself. 
when it comes into contact with food, that's when salt really starts to shine. It's then that it's fulfilled its destiny. But I'll tell you this, if you're salt, you got to get out of the packet. You do. Uh, salt can't do what it's meant to do if it doesn't get out of the salt shaker and into contact with some food. And so I make that point just to remind you of something, and that's this, that as a church, we are not here to simply hold services, as important as those are. We're not here to simply run programs, as valuable as those are. We're not even just here to meet in little groups where people can feel safe and comfortable as, as important as those are, we are called to make a difference in our world. We are called to be salt and light. And as salt, you are called to that as well. Sake does not, salt does not exist for its own sake. It does not exist for itself. You and I, friends, are here to permeate a dying world in the same way that salt permeates food. But let me tell you this, our culture in this day and age will try to lure you away from that. It will try to lure you into things like comfort and complacency. And so the temptation is for every one of us in the room to become enslaved to our culture and then just kind of add church on top of that. And Jesus says, no, don't do that. You are the salt of the earth. You are it. You're only it. There is no plan B. You are the salt of the earth. And I want you to notice, he's not giving a command here. He's not saying, try hard to be salty or work harder to get saltier. He's just making an observation. He just looks at this group of peasants. He just looks at you and I, and he just kind of says, you know, when I see you, I see the salt of the earth. And any time that someone becomes so immersed in the presence of Jesus and they begin to experience his love and his goodness and his kindness, any time that someone is so immersed from Jesus, you know what starts to happen? They start to get salty. Not because they're trying to be salty, but they're just infatuated with Jesus and he's impacting them and he's making them salty. But Jesus does have a concern. He says... You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything in that case except to be thrown out and trampled on men. I mean, some of us walked on salt today, right? It kept, probably kept some of us from, you know, falling. So Jesus acknowledges something really important. He says, listen, you better be careful because it's, it's possible for salt to lose its saltiness. Now, why did Jesus have to go and say that? I mean, it was so encouraging up to now, wasn't it? It was so inspiring. You know, well, Jesus is giving them and us a warning. And the warning he's giving is this. He's saying, look, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't let it do that. It will cause you to veer from what matters. It will call you to the lure of lesser loyalties. It will... It, it can cause you to waste your one and only life if you're not careful. See, your, your culture will try to seduce you to spend your whole life being too busy, too driven, too preoccupied with whatever. It could be career, it could be romance, it could be money, it could be status. 
And so the church just ends up unsalty, bland, because we're just so busy chasing after the same things everybody else is. And so, it, so what can happen in a case like that is even if you regularly attend church, you're so wrapped up in chasing the same things everybody else is, you're no longer living on mission with Jesus. Jesus looks at us and he says, look, that's not the plan. You are the salt of the earth. I see people sometimes who go to church year after year after year. They stay on the same crazy treadmill. They're overworked. They're overcommitted. They're overextended financially. They're still praying about the same stuff they were praying about 10 years ago. And the real reason, if we're willing to be honest with ourselves, is that they've never made the decision that they're going to die to their culture. So their prayers tend to be along this line. God, relieve me of all my stress and pressure. You know, relieve me of all the, the pr pressure I'm under. God, heal my body. And God, give me all the things that matter so much in our world. See, that becomes kind of our prayer. I wonder if there's anybody here today who needs to say, Jesus, I will pour myself out for you. I will get out of my packet and I will live differently and the good news is that when someone in God's community and the community of Jesus gets salty it gets contagious everybody wants some of it listen when God's people are salty life is anything but bland it's anything for bland now listen so here's what I'm telling you this morning you and I we're it we are God's plan for fighting the decay and the corruption of this sorry, dark world. And our mission, should you choose to accept it, is, you know, to make the world a better place to live in, to bring light in the, into the darkness, you know, to, to make the world that we live in joy-filled and winsome and attractive, not just for some people, but for everybody. And you are it. And Jesus is looking for someone who will say, I will not live in slavery. To, I will not be so busy chasing the same things in culture that everybody else does. You know, well, how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, you get involved in the problems of the world. You go where the rot and decay are in people's lives. And you apply yourself and you invest yourself uh, that way. This is what things like the bridge and Kids Own Preschool and Women's Bridge to Hope and Shelby Supply are all about going where the rot and the corruption is and being a light in a dark place. Listen, you are the salt of the earth. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what your title is or whether you even have a title. You are the salt of the earth. Do you have any idea what Jesus could do with a church that was just filled with people you know, that would say, everything I've got, Jesus, my time, my talents, my money, whether it's a little money or a lot of money, whatever I've got, it's yours. I'm going to pour myself out for you. And here is why Jesus can make that ask. Because that is exactly what he did for you. He poured himself out for you. He gave himself away so that you could be better. So here's what I want to ask you to do. 
want you to take out that little salt packet and I want you to look at it. I'm going to ask you to, to not open it. I want you to take it home and I want you to put it in a place where you're going to see it every day. Maybe that's on a dresser. Maybe that's on your refrigerator. But you're just going to set it there. And every time you look over and you see this little packet of salt, I want you to say to yourself, I am the salt of the world. I'm the salt of the earth. That's me. That's who I am. Every time you look at it, you're going to say that. And then at some point, maybe it's in a week, maybe it's in two weeks, I want you to have an honest conversation with God, and you're going to do the real thing because here's the way you're going to do it. At some point, you're going to sit down to a meal, and I want you to tear open that salt packet, but instead of saying, God, bless my food, bless my family, you're going to pray a different kind of prayer. You're going to say, God, I will pour my life out for you. God, I will, I will invest in what you asked me to invest in. I will offer the very, very best of my time, my talents, and my treasures, but I will not be seduced by my culture. I'm not just going to chase the same things that everybody else says. No, I want to be used by you. And so it kind of just becomes a picture, right, of pouring yourself out, going where the rot is, going where the decay is. Because you're the salt of the earth. And, and that needs to get deep down into our bones, we need, to, we need to come to believe that. Some of us may need to wrestle with that, but it's true. You are the salt of the earth. And so at some point, maybe you're going to pour that salt out on your french fries as you pray that prayer. Some of you are french fry people. Maybe some of you are going to pour out that salt on your egg substitutes, right? Two ends of the spectrum. But no matter what, we're all praying the same prayer. God, use me. God, I pour myself out for you. God, do good things through my life, not just to my life, but do good things through my life because I know I'm blessed, but I'm not just blessed to soak in it. I'm blessed so I can turn around and pass that blessing on to somebody else by being salt and by being light. And then Jesus uses another analogy to make the same point he's making about salt. I won't talk a lot about this. We'll just make a couple of observations. He says, you're also the light of the world. You're not just the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. We live in a dark world. We live in a scary world. But light makes things okay. And that's your calling. You're called to make things okay. So he says, you're the light of the world. And then he kind of makes some comments. A city situated on a hill can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. And then here's the kind of the purpose statement. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Friends, that's the purpose statement for your life and mine, to give glory to our heavenly Father. That's the end game. That's why you are here. That's why I am here, to give God glory. And there's a couple of observations. And that is the first thing that Jesus would have us note is that people are going to see our light through our actions, through our encouraging words, through our kind words, through our helping hands, through our encouragement, through, um, by, by being the kind of people that bring benefit to other people. See, that's what he's talking about here. 
And then secondly, notice this. He says, a light is never meant to be hidden. Nobody turns on a light and then covers it up. That would be ridiculous. No, the purpose of a light is to light up a room. And then the last observation, uh, and this is a really important one. This isn't a light. Like, it isn't like you have this little light in you, you know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. It's not like you bring a light to the table. In fact, look what Paul said about this. This is in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, for you were once darkness. You had no light in you until you knew Jesus. You were once darkness Um, But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Here's Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, as human beings, we have no ability to produce light on our own. Absolutely none. The only thing we are good at producing is darkness. Apart from Jesus, we're only darkness. We have no light. And this is where Jesus comes in, right? And so look what Jesus said in John 8. I and the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So here's the idea. When I follow Jesus, when I stay close to Jesus, I have his light. I begin to reflect his life, light. And the closer that I live with him, the closer that I get to him, the greater I reflect his light. Now listen, every time I teach on this, I use the same illustration. So some of you are here and you've heard me use this illustration before. You're not hearing this illustration because I'm getting old and senile because I forgot. No, you're hearing it again because it's just a fantastic illustration and I can't do better. So, you know, if you've heard it before, suck it up and yeah, stay with me. All right, so I want you to look at something. So that is the night sky, right? The moon is around 240,000 miles from Earth. It's the largest and brightest object of our night sky. In fact, some of you know this, the moon's orbit actually helps to stabilize the wobble of our planet and moderate the climate of our planet. In fact, when you're at the beach, high tide and low tide are determined by where the moon is in its orbit, So what makes a full moon like that? Because the reality is, the moon is just like us. It has no ability to generate light. None. So how is it glowing then in the night sky? Well, the moon is an excellent reflector of light. See, it reflects the light of the sun. When the moon is exposed, when it's in view, when it's in maybe a little closer proximity to the sun, it, it reflects that light back down to earth. See, in the same way, friends, when you and I are exposed to Jesus, his light reflects, his glory reflects off of you. See, this is an incredible thing. Like the moon, we have no ability to generate any kind of light in and of ourselves, but we can reflect the light of Christ to others. 
through our behavior, through our encouragement, through our kindness, through our love, through our offering of help, through our service, and on and on and on it goes. So, all right, so let me do this. I'm going to take the last few minutes that we have together. I'm just going to give you three or four practical, specific ways that you and I can begin to live this out, that we can begin to act like we're the salt of the earth, act like that we are the light of the world. And so here's the first way. I just, and to get at this one, I want to ask you a question. Who is your one? Who is your one? Because here's the truth about all of us in the room. You can't shine a light on everybody, but you can shine a light on somebody. You, can, you may not be able to impact the whole world, but you can impact somebody in the world. But that starts with knowing who you're supposed to impact what that person's name is. So I would just ask you, just kind of think through your life right now and ask yourself the question, you know, who in my life needs to know Jesus? So, so if they're my one, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look for opportunities to encourage them. I'm going to look for opportunities to serve them. I'm going to look for opportunities to build them up. I'm going to look for ways to be a good friend to them. And I'm going to pray for them every single day by name. Hey, God, would you just bring Doug to you? Would you bring him into a beautiful relationship with you? Thanks, God. Amen. Just kind of a daily prayer every single day, right? You're praying for them. And then when opportunities present themselves, you, you, uh, you lob Jesus out there. You know, you talk about Jesus. You invite them to church. You bring them to church with you. With you. You, inv- you, you, you offer to take them out to dinner afterwards because you're investing in them. They are your one because the truth about you and the truth about me is we can't be a light to the whole world, but we, can be a, we can't be a light to everybody, but we can be a light to somebody. And everybody needs a somebody. Everybody needs a one. No matter how young you are, no matter how gifted you feel or don't feel, no matter how new in your faith you are, or no matter how long you've been a Christian, all of us need to have a one. So who is your one? What is their name? Here's a second concrete way to be salt and light. And that is just... so. So part of what we, one of the things we said about salt, right, was salt doesn't call attention to itself. It exists to benefit uh, other food, right? In the same way, our lives are meant to be oriented that way. So everybody in this room, everybody who's a follower of Jesus should, have a, should regularly be serving other people. Serving other people. It's absolutely, it's a vital spiritual discipline. It's just service. So, hey, do you have a ministry somewhere? Are you plugged in? Are you serving somewhere at SCC or somewhere outside our four walls? But are you serving? And if you're not, just a, just a suggestion, just an excellent place to start, our children's ministry, we have, a, we have an incredible children's ministry that regularly points littles, young men and women, to Jesus. And 
the people that serve there are privileged to be able to partner with parents and be another resource for those parents' children in their journey toward Jesus. And because listen, here's the deal, friends: you never know what church the best, the the next Billy Graham's going to come from. Well, why couldn't it come from SCC? Well, it, he or she could if there's a community of people around them pointing these children to Jesus. Maybe that could be you. Maybe that needs to be you. So I would ask you, man, march right back there to the, uh, to the Next Steps desk. You know, sign up, show up, talk to somebody, let them know, hey, listen, I'm interested in beginning to serve in the children's ministry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start there and I'm going to let God uh, use me there. So just, just a rhythm of service in your life is that present. And then thirdly, Daniel talked about this a little bit earlier, just getting into community with other people. And here's the thing about Christian community. So a lot of times when we look at Christian community, we kind of do this. We go, well, you know, okay, so what do I like? What do I want to learn? What do I need? Where am I in my journey? Am I going to like the people in my group? Am I going to fit? But sometimes we need to ask a way better question. Not what do I need, but what what do the other members of your group need? In other words, maybe the reason you need to be in a group isn't about you at all. Maybe you're meant to build and develop a relationship with someone. You're not in a relationship right now. And what if God means to use that person in a mighty way in your life and your life in a mighty way in their life? But you'll never know that, right? If you don't sign up and show up and live in community with a group of people. This is another way. We are salt and light. What did Jesus say? By this will all men know you're my disciples if you love one another. Small groups are the way. Life groups are the way that we love one another. We don't love very well here on Sunday mornings. Why? Because, you know, it's it's just like everybody's facing me, right? There's not a lot of conversation going on. And so, so, so small groups become a place where we can learn how to love for one another, learn how to pray for one another, learn how to honor one another, learn how to care for one another, and on and on and on it goes. And then the last thing um, I want to mention, and, and I'm going to back up a couple few years to mention this one, just an, again, another specific way some of us really need to wrestle with God and become salt and light. So about three years ago, our staff and elders wrestled with God over a question. And the question, so in other words, you know, we had meetings around this. We, we, we prayed about it. We conversated about it. I don't even know if that's a word, but I'm going to use it anyway. You know, we had conversations about it. And the question was this, God... What are you calling our church to do today, now, in this window, in the next five to seven years? See, what are you asking us to do? So we weren't asking God, what are you asking us to do tomorrow? God, what were you asking us to do yesterday? It was like, God, what are you asking us to do now? And out of that question uh, came this vision and this statement. We said, okay, we know what God's calling us to do. We're called to be a disciple-making church that brings hope and healing to our community. That's our call. We are called to be a healing presence and a hope-filled presence for people out there that are struggle-busting that have hurts, habits, and hang-ups that are overwhelming and overcoming them. 
And so then out of that vision, many of you know, many of you were here, many of you participated. We launched something we called All In. And we asked God's people, some of you, to be all in so that we could resource the ministries that we would use that God would use to bring hope and healing to our community. And that culminated in four ministries. It culminated in the Kids Zone Preschool so that we can now partner with parents in the raising of their little so moms and dads can both go off to work knowing their kids are safe, knowing their kids are going to be pointed to Jesus all throughout the day. And then, you know, and so uh, we're kind of partners. We're a resource for these parents who just are, you know, trying to make their way in the world. Then the second thing that came from that was the bridge where we have a food pantry. We do all of our biblical counseling there. We offer all of our support groups there. Many of you know we bought the old Shelby Senior Services building on South Harrison. We're doing all of our addiction recovery ministries there. Celebrate Recovery is going like gangbusters there. We can't, people can't find parking there. Uh, I mean, there, there are hardly any seats for people to sit in. They're literally thinking about how they can minister to more people by having like on maybe not just Thursday, but Tuesday and Thursday so that we can make room for more people. It's incredible what God is doing at the bridge. And then we have the Women's Bridge to Hope House where we're coming alongside women that have struggled with addiction. And we're giving them a safe place to grow and heal. And then, finally, is Shelby Supply. Many of you know we bought the Comcast building, the, the old Comcast building there across from the courthouse. And we're going to be using that for our job skills training program. We're, we've partnered with Jobs for Life. We're, going to, we're teaching people how to do interviews, how to get jobs, how to keep jobs. We're giving them actual job skills. And the reason we arrived at that need, this is so cool, every time I would talk to a Christian businessman or a leader in an organization in Shelbyville, they were all saying the same thing. We can't find good people. We can't hire good people. We can't find enough good people. And so we said, well, you know what? We're going to get on the other side of that problem. We're going to come alongside people and we're going to help them become those people. So the vision for that is just incredible. Yeah, that's, a, that's worth clapping for. Now, now, listen, I just want you to know, and I'm going to ask you to wrestle with something, okay? So today, about 30% of our budget, this doesn't even include the facilities, we're just talking about the day-to-day -day running and maintenance, about 30% of our budget every single week goes, goes to, those meet, to, to meet those needs in our communities, and we believe and we continue to believe that God has called us to every one of them. And we don't want any of them to go away. But you need to know. So even just so, so last year was incredible. Last year we finished strong. We finished in the black. Uh, we were able to resource everything. But this year has been a different story. Through the first three Sundays of the month, we are already $15,000 down on our budget. And it's important that you know that. I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty or any of that. I just, it's important that you know, right? And so, so I want you to know that. But, but as a result of that, here's what I just want to say to you. I just want to ask you, look, are you willing to just pray and ask God this week, God, what do you want me to do? 
Like, God, I mean, you know, whether I make a little or whether I make a lot, God, okay, I need to do something. And so, God, what is it you want me to do? Now, listen, maybe, you know, you're a giver, but you're a giver and you're a sporadic giver and you only give when there's leftovers. Um, You know, you may give here and there. I would just say, look, your job is to develop a plan and stick to it so that you can become a consistent giver, whether it's a little or whether it's a lot. It really doesn't matter. And then there probably are some of us here, maybe you've never been privileged to give or invest in what a church community is doing. It's so important that you take that first step. So I would ask you, if you're there and you've never given a gift to a church, why don't you start here? And why don't you also kind of think through a plan for how you can continue to invest in what God is doing here and in what God is doing in our community. Maybe you're here and you're a faithful giver. Thank you. Maybe you're here and you're not just a faithful giver, you're a sacrificial giver. Thank you. Thank you. There are four ministries that are up and running. Friends, if you'd have walked in here two years ago, you wouldn't have seen a preschool. If you'd have walked in two, to here two years ago, you wouldn't have seen a Bridge to Hope house or a facility where we're ministering to so many people or a facility where we're going to do job skills training. Those didn't exist, and now they do because of you. But listen, we all need to be part of that. We all need to be in on that. You know, we called that campaign All In. But the reality for followers of Jesus is they need to be all in all the time. All in all the time. So I just want to encourage you. Thank you. So, so again, if you're a faithful giver or even a sacrificial giver, I'm so grateful for you. I am. And if you're not... Will you take steps to become a faithful giver? And maybe even down the road, a sacrificial giver. And listen, here's why I can make that ask. Because that's exactly the way Jesus gave for you. It's the way he gave for me. It's the way he gave for us. He, didn't, he gave sacrificially for you and for me. And so he just makes that same ask of us. That makes sense. So I just want to speak a good word over you before I let us go this morning. So listen, I am so proud to be one of the pastors at this church. I am so proud of what we're doing in here and out there. I'm so proud of the church that we are. And I'm so proud of the church that we're becoming. And I hope that every one of you will become that with us. That you'll be part of that. That you'll go on this journey with us. And friends, if if we all go together, our community, look out. We're just getting started. We're just warming up. I mean, we're yet to see what what our God will do. But it's going to take all of us. Amen. So let me pray for you, let me pray for us, let me pray for our church. Papa, thanks for every person you brought through the doors today. I ask you to bless them. I ask you to encourage them. I ask you to comfort them, whatever need they brought in with them this morning. Lord Jesus, you know what that need is. Would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, 
you know, speak into their hearts in a way that they need. But God, I don't just ask you to bless them. I ask you to bless them so that they can turn around and bless others. So that then they can take the very best of their time and their talents and their treasures and pass some of that on so that others can be blessed. And God, I'm just so grateful that that's your heart. That's your plan for the church, for ordinary men and women who would follow Jesus. So Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, not only that you came to us, but that you want to use us so that you can come to others. And we give you thanks and praise, and we do that in the mighty name of our Jesus and all God's people said.